Hello, you're listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. Who am I? I'm going on my 30th year of marriage to my lovely wife, Michelle. Uh, hey, we're really pumped today to be speaking with Darren Heitner. Uh, has a really cool podcast called How to Play the Game. Uh, is uh, done a ton of stuff, and he's only in his 30s. You know, I'm a lawyer, and I'm in my 50s, and I'm looking at your resume here. You, you, you jammed a lot of stuff in here, Darren. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. So uh, you're down in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and t- tell me what it's like down there during this whole COVID thing down in Florida. Well, things are changing very quickly. As of this past Monday, we now are open. We're gradually opening up businesses. Restaurants can now fill up to 50% capacity. Uh, Barbers are are opening museums. The beach is not quite yet. In fact, down here, you may remember, there were some images that came up a month or two ago when everyone was starting to really understand what COVID-19 was all about. And our beaches were packed with spring breakers in very close proximity to one another. And so I think that we in Fort Lauderdale probably contributed to uh, all of the shutdowns of business across the country. But we're gradually seeing a return. Fortunately for my personal practice, uh, I have been working from home for the past five years. And so my, the structure of my firm is set up to really be able to smoothly transition from what was going on before to now. Nothing's really changed. Certainly we've adapted with existing clients who may have been hurt by way of coronavirus and even adding some new clients who have questions surrounding uh, business interruption, force majeure clauses in contracts and so on and so forth. So by and large, my own business, thank God, has not been interrupted. But I think like everybody else, I'm very much uh, interested in getting as close to back to normal as possible. And as soon as possible, making sure that people are, remain healthy and, and safe in that process. Sure. So let me give you a little bit background about, about Darren. So Darren is in the uh, sports law industry. And what a fascinating uh, area. I, you know, I think a lot of you know, young folks uh, really like the thought of being in the entertainment law industry, which I think encompasses sports law. But I was looking through a lot of the cool stuff that you've done, you know, representing athletes and representing agents, helping, helping these guys out too with estate planning and disputes and helping people uh, in that area. What a fascinating area. And you've been doing it for what, about uh, 10 years or so, Darren? 10 years as of I think a week ago it's been 10 years since I graduated from the Levin College of Law at the University of Florida that's correct and so um, tell me um, what got you thinking that you wanted to go into you know sports or entertainment or that type of law when you went to law school well perhaps a little known fact is that I actually went straight from undergrad at University of Florida to law school so I spent seven straight years from 2003 to 2010 in Gainesville, Florida. And the intention, at least at first, was to never practice law. I went to law school with the intention of of passing a bar, but not actually utilizing uh, the JD. And what I wanted was the background uh, and experience of, of going to law school and thinking differently. And the ultimate goal was to create and build a sports agency. So that's what I did. In 2007, when I was entering into my first year of law school, I had created a sports agency from scratch with a partner. 
and built that throughout my three years of law school and even was allowed to continue to grow that sports agency practice after graduating. When I moved from Gainesville to Fort Lauderdale, again, my intention was not to practice law, but I had been asked to go to lunch with uh, a few lawyers who I had answered some questions for in the past when they wanted to create a sports law practice. And they asked me to come in and I actually ended up working there for exactly a year thereafter. And during that year, realized that my passion was actually in the law. And I preferred utilizing my strengths to help people through that practice as opposed to what I was doing at the time, which was three and a half years in, continuing to try to build the sports agency. And so I pivoted. I switched from being a sports agent to being a lawyer. And part of that process and what helped allow me to create a sports law practice is to essentially convert those competitors who are agents into clients. And so now some of my best clients are sports agents and sports agencies. And by virtue of the work that I do with them as corporate entities or as founders or executives at those agencies, they feel comfortable referring me to their clients. And it's been an amazing uh, filter for me to then grow my own practice through those agents, through those players, et cetera. That's, that's cool. And so, you know, one of the things that I, that, you know, that fascinated me about, so I'm a huge sports fan. Um, uh, I grew up uh, and I, I, you know, uh, was a cross country and, and track and field athlete in, in uh, college at Vision One and, and then did all those type of things. I, and I hung out with some great athletes and I kind of felt that they were, they were the, the folks that were sports agents back then in the 80s and 90s weren't as high a caliber of like a, a, a law trained type person like yourself. And I thought there was like a void there for somebody, a group of, of folks to get into that niche and really be not, you know, I guess I, I see these guys and I see that some of it's based on relationships rather than, than competence. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you jumped into this. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I do see that from time to time. And fortunately, the agents that I represent are very competent individuals, but, and, and many of them actually have JDs and yep. went to law school, perhaps never utilized that again, practicing law, but have that background. And I, and I really do enjoy that. I love, even outside of the sports agents who have JDs that I work with, I actually even work with a lot of lawyers and law firms to help them in, in particular areas that they may not focus in. For instance, a huge practice of mine is in the realm of intellectual property and trademark protection and enforcement. And there are a lot of lawyers out there uh, who are amazing at what they do, but they don't have an appreciation or an understanding for that particular area of the law. And I love working with very competent individuals. And so uh, you're right. I mean, from the sports agent perspective, a lot of these individuals don't necessarily have that background in the law, but even those that do and would be competent to provide legal services, either don't have the time to do it or don't want to be wearing too many hats at once. They want to be able to focus on the services from a representative standpoint that they can provide to their clients and be able to feel confident that they're also on their quote unquote team. They have a lawyer who can then handle those legal services, whether it be contracts off the field, off the court, from an investment standpoint or so on and so forth, intellectual property, as I mentioned, family law, criminal law, so on and so forth. So it's uh it's been a really good area to get involved with. I know a lot of people 
desire to, to work with athletes and so on and so forth. What I found to be very interesting is that in, in let's say my litigation experience or arbitration in the world, in the world of sports, it's really a handful of individuals who are practicing in that area. I find myself up against the same adversaries from a legal standpoint uh, quite often. And so it's incredibly hard. There's a high barrier to break in, but once you do, you find that there's a, a pretty small group of lawyers who are practicing in the space. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I believe that completely. It's like any, Oh, anything like when you're a trial lawyer in a city, you run into all the, the, the guys that actually know how to try cases and, yeah. and, and, and that, but, so, so tell us a little bit of, of some fun stories about some of your practice. I mean, I was looking through this. I, um, uh, I, I really liked the uh, uh, get your popcorn ready. I really yeah. like that one. I, I say it. Now, do I, am I violating, you know, all sorts of trademarks when I say get your popcorn ready? No, just don't use it commercially. It, it's uh, Terrell Owens, uh, who registered that trademark, has become an amazing client of mine. Um, he was was involved in protecting his brands through intellectual property prior to our engagement and the development of our relationship. But um, even since that Get Your Popcorn Ready, which he's had registered for quite some time, he's been in the process of applying for and registering uh, many other trademarks and uh, utilizing it in a variety of services and goods. And, uh, you know, he's he and many other athletes are becoming so uh, in touch with how important it is to be proactive in, in protecting intellectual property to the extent that you're using get your popcorn ready, uh, let's say in, in a commentary style as you just did. There's no, there's no concern whatsoever. But let's say you were going to start selling apparel with the phrase get your popcorn ready or even creating a, a line of products. Uh, under the brand, get your popcorn ready. Uh, you better believe you'd be receiving a cease and desist letter from me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a distinction between using it in, let's say, a commentary or newsworthy way, as you just did, or or using it in a commercial form. And what we're always concerned about is that um, you're not using it in some sort of commercial manner where there'd be a likelihood of confusion and the potential for any of my clients to be forfeiting an opportunity to, to exploit uh, their opportunities. Sir, so tell us some, some good stories about your practice. So, you know, uh, as people know, you know, being a lawyer is, is, can be a very boring thing. I mean, we, a lot of the stuff we do, we review contracts, we, we put stuff together, and then there's moments that, that are kind of fun. I mean, I've had some, some trials that have been fun, all that type of stuff, but give us some, some high points of your, uh, of your career. Oh, man. I mean, you know, I feel like there are, there's, there's a new interesting development on a daily basis. I, I'm fortunate that uh, in dealing in uh, largely in the world of athletes and entertainment, and it's not strictly that, but I, I certainly branded my firm in such a way. I mean, we've worked with so many different individuals and such different types of issues that, I mean, it ranges from being counsel for uh, former Florida Gators uh, standout and NFL player Dominique Easley. I represented him in three dogfight cases. He had a pit bull named Chucky, who unfortunately <laughs> bit three different individuals. So I had to handle those three lawsuits at the same time. One of them actually going uh, through a jury trial. And in Florida, you know, at that point in time, when I first got that case, I knew nothing about the dog bite statute or that there is a disparity between states as to how they treat 
a dog bite and whether or not there's a, a one-time allowance for yeah, strict liability. Right. Well, in Florida now, it's strict liability and it's changed over time. And so, you know, going through those cases and it's something that I never really thought that I would do, but because there was a comfort level with the client based on a prior relationship and, and the fact that I do a lot of civil litigation, it's, you know, Darren, please handle this for me. So really interesting way to go about learning all about the dog bite statute and going all the way through a jury trial in Palm Beach. I mean, from Dominique Easley to Antonio Brown, who I previously handled everything for, from transactional matters to intellectual property to a lot of litigation and arbitration behind closed doors. I mean, I, you know, one of the early issues that I had to deal with was an allegation that he threw furniture off the balcony of his 14th floor apartment and almost hit a two-year-old and litigation that arose out of that based on a claim of assault and intentional infliction of emotional distress. I mean, these are interesting issues, right? Uh, and well, it yeah. It, it, more interesting based on the character of the client that you're representing. So um, look at- Yeah, my kid, my kid, although we're up in Chicago, Darren, uh, when Antonio Brown was with the Steelers, my kid had signed football, the jersey, wore it all the time. He was like the number one Antonio Brown fan. He's 11. And, uh, you know, once he left the Steelers, he was, you know, he was still thinking, you know, this is going to be pretty cool. But I'm hoping, I'm rooting for Antonio to, to, to make the comeback and maybe end up down in Tampa Bay, huh? Well, I, you know, he and I parted ways at the end of 2019. We... Uh, you know, I, I, I was of the position that I, that I could no longer assist him in the way that he needed to be assisted. Um, he's gone through many lawyers since uh, his agent dropped him as well. And I got to tell you, I, I wish him and will always wish him the absolute best. I hope he ends up landing on his feet and uh, irrespective of the fact that we no longer have a professional or personal relationship. Um, I'd love nothing more than him to get his life back together and, and be on an NFL team. All right, so you, you've been at this about 10 years. Give, give me the next five years. What, what's going to go on, Darren? Come on, man. You're, you're in Florida. You're in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Psych us up today. What's going to happen in the next five years? Well, one thing that I'm, I've been very involved in and, and plan to continue to be very involved in is what's going on currently in college sports, which is a huge push for college athletes to begin to be able to earn money not from salaries from the schools, but instead to be able to exploit their names, images, and likenesses. And that falls right into my wheelhouse of intellectual property. Unfortunately, forever, college athletes have been precluded from earning any money, including off of endorsement deals. And so what I've been working on as of not a full year, but almost a year ago in the state of Florida is developing legislation uh, with Representative Chip Lamarca that would allow for college athletes, at least in the state of Florida, to begin to be able to uh, exploit for commercial gain their name, images, and likenesses. And that piece of legislation was put on the House floor in the beginning of 2020. It has both passed the House and the Senate in Florida, was about to be signed by the governor, and then COVID-19 hits. So the governor hasn't really signed any legislation that's pending uh, because of coronavirus, but the intention still is to sign it. And by signing it, we would be the first state to actually enact the law, which would be J July 2021. California has passed legislation to be enacted 2023. 
And meanwhile, you have the NCA now posturing about possibly passing its own legislation to change the, the current prohibition. So I think we're going to see a huge change in, the, in the, how college sports and college athletes are treated. Uh, and there will be a big role for, at, for agents and also for attorneys to play with regard to procurement of opportunities for these college athletes and also negotiation of the contracts. And so that's a very exciting area. I'd love to see some federal change uh, and something beyond what the NCA has proposed. But I love that we're taking the lead in Florida, and I love that I've been able to be a, a big part of it. Yeah, you know, it would seem that, that you know, the courts would weigh in on this because it, it seems to me that impairing uh, a young person's ability to, to contract uh, because he's in college, I mean, there's no stopping, you know, a real smart guy like Zuckerberg from starting Facebook when he was just out of, out of uh, high school, basically. And even though he was in college, what's the difference between that and sports? I, I never really could figure that out. There's antitrust issues. There's, you know, uh, all sorts of different issues, anti-competitive stuff that, that basically it's a lawyer's dream to get involved in this stuff. And I would think that this Supreme Court would be very receptive to that type of argument that, hey, you're impairing this, this person's ability to make money from his own wits, his own hard work. That's wrong. Well, we actually just received an opinion, I believe, on appeal in, in a case that was brought by Ed O'Bannon, a former uh, yeah. premier NCAA basketball player. And I know I haven't read the, the opinion in its entirety, but I believe uh, – a prior decision was upheld, which essentially says that there can't be a restriction on, on educational related benefits that are received by a player, but um, did not really interfere with the overall prohibition um, that does not currently allow for college athletes to exploit their names, images, and likenesses for commercial gain outside of those uh, gains related to education. And so perhaps that's something that now is, is brought to the Supreme Court, and if, if the Supreme Court accepts it on certiorari, perhaps, I mean, who knows, if 1% of those cases are actually taken up at the Supreme Court. Um, but I can tell you that the state legislatures are not waiting for the Supreme Court to take action. They're not waiting for the NCAA to take action, um, and sp specifically the state of Florida, which I can speak for. Um, and and, and I, it'd be nice if the federal legislature would take action as well. It, it does not need to wait for the Supreme Court to come to any sort of conclusion on that. And No, and I'm with you. And, I, and, and my, my thinking, I agree with you. So my thinking is, so we, as we've seen that the, um, the NBA has started, you know, with this, uh, this league that basically this junior league that a lot of these top recruits are going to, so they don't have to go through the one year and out uh, at a college. I would believe that the universities in their own self-interest would say, hey, you know what? In order for us to be competitive in getting these athletes to come to our universities, why don't we just come together at NCAA and say, hey, listen, let's let them uh, promote their likeness uh, and basically having the brand of the university with them may help and enhance their own image. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of one thing that that would be like a co-branding type thing, which would be a whole area of law that would be kind of fun, I think. You can never expect the NCA to do the common sense thing. So and we're not we're not going to wait for them to do it either. 
yep. there's a lot of rhetoric that comes out of the NCA. Actions speak louder than words. We've received a 31 page uh, recommendations that the NCA has provided. No actual legislation yet, although that's supposed to be coming later and essentially a vote in 2021. But these recommendations fall well short of a free market, which is what we want to provide in the state of Florida, and which I think a lot of states will want to provide their college athletes, and which is fair, as you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg before. I mean, there's no restriction on any other student at a university from making money, and that includes making money off of his or her name, image, and likeness. I mean, especially in this age of social media and Instagram in particular, where individuals have the ability to exploit the brands that they've developed. I mean, it's not easy to do that. And to say to an athlete, look, we're going to make all the money off of you as the school or as the NCAA, and you can't do anything to make money whatsoever. And it's just not fair. And, you know, from our position, it's not about equality among the athletes with regard to what they will earn. It's equality of opportunity. Just give everybody the same opportunity, just as every student has, to earn the money. If one student earns $1,000 a month and another one earns $10,000 a month, congrats to both of them. It's more money than they currently are receiving. And at least it's something. I mean, right now, the, the cost of attendance that's provided to them barely even meets what is truly needed to cover room board and, and everything else that's involved in quote unquote cost of attendance. So my hope is that uh, Florida moves forward quickly once the governor signs the legislation California maybe changes the effective date. Other states sees what Florida is doing and says, look, we need to do something as well before the start of the fall 2021 seasons because we don't want to be left behind in the recruiting battle. And uh, we, we shall see. Hey, so Darren, I know we got to wrap this up. So listen, um, your How to Play the Game uh, podcast, how, how can people reach you? Well, the easiest way to reach me is actually through social media. I'm at Darren Heitner almost everywhere. That's D-A-R-R-E-N-H-E-I-T-N-E-R. As you mentioned, recently started a podcast called How to Play the Game. It's on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever else you can, you can find it. And um, my email, my personal email is very simple. It's just heitner at gmail.com. So if anyone wants to reach out, feel free. That's great. You know what? Hey, Thanks for, you know, being the advocate for these athletes. You know, I, I was watching that last dance. Uh, I don't know if you caught it on ESPN. It was great. Can you imagine that the, the young Jordan at North Carolina, if he could use his likeness uh, back then? I mean, it could have helped out a lot of, you know, his family. And, and uh, you know, let, let these guys shape their own careers. You know I mean? I, that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, a more recent example would be Zion Williamson at Duke. I mean, yeah. you know, look, he, he would have been able to make a, a fortune. Why not let him? I'm with you, buddy. Hey, listen, thanks so much for joining us, and I'm hopeful we'll, we'll, we'll cross paths. Be well. Thank you. All right. Take care, Darren. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the Internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312 Five seven eight nine five zero one. Have a terrific day.